0: This morning we're continuing uh, through the summer walking through the lectionary. The lectionary is a, a group of passages that are actually chosen for every Sunday, chosen by councils of churches all over the world. And I, it's a neat thing to be able to preach from the lectionary because you know that there are other churches right now who are, are preaching and studying the same text that we're, we're preaching from and studying from this week. And over the next few weeks, the lectionary covers the beginning of the monarch of Israel. And so that's where we're going to start today uh, with 1 Samuel chapter 8, beginning with verse 4. But before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. For God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, 1 Samuel chapter 8. Beginning with verse 4. Then all of the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, You are old and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us then a king to govern us like other nations. But this thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to govern us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them, just as they have done to me from the day I brought them up out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so also they are doing to you. Now then, listen to their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel reported all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his courtiers. He will take one-tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his courtiers. He will take your male and female slaves and the best of your cattle, the donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take one-tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, no, but we are determined to have a king over us, so that we also may, may be like other nations, and that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard, had heard all of the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and set a king over them. Samuel said to, then said to the people of Israel, each of you return home. So as I begin, I want to say a, a word of gratitude for allowing me to be away last week and uh, c- celebrating our normal family vacation that we take every year on Memorial Day. I also want to say thank you to Linda. She preached a wonderful sermon last week. If you haven't had the chance to listen to it, I want to encourage you to go online and do that. She did a great job, so, so thank you, Linda, for doing that. It was great to be away with family last week. We have an annual uh, vacation with Julianne's family, and it got me gave me a chance to get to see my niece and my nephew, my wonderful little niece. Chloe is six months old and she is just the calmest happiest baby you might imagine and that's a good thing because her older brother Colson is full of energy in fact, all throughout the time we were away, we were chasing him around, trying to keep up with him, play with him, keep him happy. And every morning, he would wake up before I had my first cup of coffee, wanting to run out to the beach and play on the beach. And his parents would try to catch him and slather him up with uh, sunscreen, get a hat on his head, get those swimmies on his arms to protect him, even get some shoes on his feet so he wasn't wouldn't burn his feet on the on the sand. And the first couple of mornings they were able to catch him, but that last about, about a third or fourth day, he was able to get away from him got the Cent10 lotion on but just headed out the door and I, I looked at his father and I said do you want me to run after him he's going to burn his feet on the on the sand and his father said oh no just let him go he has to learn somehow sure enough after just a few moments he came hopping back around the corner his feet burning in the sand oh no just let him go he'll have to learn somehow That little dilemma that every parent has from time to time about whether to correct, whether to protect, or whether to let their children learn on their own. Every parent has that from time to time. And that's kind of the dilemma that Samuel has in our passage this morning. Whether to correct the people, whether to protect the people, or whether to let them learn on their own. The people want to do something that's contrary to God's will. They want a king. And in the law of God, in the law of the Old Testament, the Torah, there is no provision for an executive branch of government. There's only one branch of government in the Torah, and that's God. God on high. And so the people of God were supposed to follow God at all costs. But here in this moment in the Old Testament, they start calling out for a king. Just to give you a little context, it really makes some sense in some sense that they would be asking God for a king or asking Samuel for a king. They were living in the hills of the promised land. I like to think of them kind of like the Highlanders of Scotland, these tribes all through the hills of of the the promised land, kind of loosely connected with each other. And they they were governed in some sense by a group of people we call the judges. The judges were warriors. Some of them were priests. Some of them were prophets. And they helped the people fight battles against their enemies. They help to settle disputes between them and help to try to keep them on track and keep them following the will of God. But To be fair, the uh, judges—the time of the judges was not a a prosperous time for the people of Israel. It was a difficult time for the people of Israel. They had as many enemies during that time as they had at any other time in their life. And at at some point, even the judges themselves became corrupt. It says in our passage that Samuel's sons, who became judges after him, were, were corrupt themselves, falling to that same temptation that we all have for money and power and better strength for ourselves. And so in the midst of this time of the judges, the people cry out. They look and see all these other powerful nations around them, the nations that are are threatening them, and they say, all of these nations have kings. That's what we need. We need a king to to put away with all these judges, to have a king who leads us, who gives us strength, who unites us together as one nation, and who will go out before us and, and fight our battles for us. Well, when they go and tell old Samuel that they'd like a king to be anointed, Samuel goes to God and says, What are we going to do with these people now? Once again, they have disobeyed what you have called them to do. We've seen the people disobey God several times already in the Old Testament, all the way back from Adam and Eve, all the way to Noah and the ark, and all the way from Abraham, even to Moses, when they were wandering in the wilderness. In each of those times, God chose to protect them or either correct their behavior through some sort of punishment. But now here, to Samuel's surprise, Samuel asks God, what are we going to do with them this time? And God says, just give them a warning. They have to learn somehow. Just give them a warning. Let them learn on their own. They'll learn it some way if we just give them this warning, hoping, maybe praying, that the people will finally learn to follow God. But of course, the people don't learn. They choose a king for themselves. Now, we might think it's altogether practical for them to have a king, to have some powerful government that leads them, that holds them together. That's what we have in our own nation. That's what all the nations of the world have, and that's what all of their enemies had around them, this powerful central government that that leads them, that holds them together, that gives them pride. But for some reason, God doesn't want them to have a king like that. For some reason, that's against God's will, and we might wonder why. One of the reasons why, at least according to Walter Brueggemann, is because that little phrase right there that we see two or three times in this passage, they wanted to be like other nations. Walter Brueggemann says that in order to be righteous, to follow in God's righteous will, we're not supposed to be like other people. We're supposed to be unique. If you have a righteous relationship with God, then we are unique from all of those other nations in the world. God did not call the people of Jerusalem, the people of Israel, to be like all of the other nations. He called those people to be a light to those other nations so that they would follow Israel, not so that Israel would follow them. And it's hard to be unique, isn't it? It's hard to step out on our own and and do things our own way, or maybe better yet, better said, to do things God's way. It's easier for us to to follow in the footsteps of those examples around us because when we follow the the lead of other people, then we know we've always got someone at least that, that accepts us because we're imitating them. But the truth of the matter is God calls us as Christians, as disciples, as the people of God to be a unique people. And we should look unique if we're truly being disciples of God. I remember at my last church, one of the the great uh, leaps of faith that we took is we were going to try to to start our own church, start a new church, plant a new community of faith, not too far away from where we were in North Atlanta. It was a tough decision, but it was something we were excited about. It was a new initiative that we had in our denomination to to form a thousand and one worshiping communities. You might remember remember that from a few years ago. And we made the decision that we were going to do it. We did all of the studies that you might imagine, studying the demographic of different areas, trying to figure out where the best locations were, where there were areas not too close to other Presbyterian churches, and then we finally got around to talking about the budget. That's where everything starts to kind of hit the 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 rubber meets the road there. And that's when people started to ask the questions, well, you know, there's already churches up there. Are we just going to try to imitate what they're doing? You know, there's already people up there who are doing church very well. They've got great audio visual uh, effects and people just are so overwhelmed and entertained. There's no way we can compete with these other churches that are already up there. Not even to mention the other things that we have to compete with in our world on Sunday mornings, like the the soccer games and, and like the the golf rounds and like well just sleeping in which some of us like to do on Sunday mornings Vicki might have wanted to do that this morning after being up till 3 30 in the morning all of those things that compete with us every single week why would we go and and plant a church up there and try to compete with all of those things and try to better them at their own game and to his credit our senior pastor Lane Alderman at this at the time said we're not going up there to be to compete We're going up there to be unique because there's something unique about us. There's something unique about being Presbyterian. There's something unique about our theology, about the way we see God and about the way we see the world. There's something unique about a faith that says we love God because first, God loves us. There's something unique about a church that says every single person created by God is called by God. There's something unique about a church that says every single person created by God may be called to be a church leader. There's something unique about a congregation, about a church like that. And so we're going up there not to be like those other people, not to be like those other churches, but to give them the opportunity to be unique as well, to be different. But it's hard to be different. And maybe that's why God knew that these people would fail at being different. Maybe that's why God knew they would, be, they would fail because they would never pick that different king, that different type of king that we're called to choose. Because you see, the people didn't choose a different type of king. They chose the same kind of king that you see in all of those other nations out there in the world. King Saul. King Saul was a powerful leader. He was a good-looking guy. can only imagine he looked something like me. <laughs> he was a good looking guy, strong, handsome, powerful. He led armies. He had had many conquests. He was a, the kind of leader that, that you would imagine. He fit the bill to a T. But he's not the kind of leader that God would have chosen. He's not the kind of leader that God would have asked for. He's not the kind of leader that God was in the law and in the prophets. You see, King Saul was just like all those other leaders in the world, and God and Samuel tried to warn them about King Saul, that this was a person that was not going to give to you, but this was a person that was going to take from you. This was not going to be a person that just united you all together, but this was a person that was going to make you serve him. He was not there to serve you, but you to serve him. You may think that this king is going to prevent you from being slaves to all those other nations out there in the world, but the truth of the matter is, you're just going to be a slave to him. That's important for us to remember. And I dare say, I would be remiss if I didn't say that's a healthy thing for us to remember when we're choosing our own leaders today. To remember the kind of person that God would choose. That the the world that we live in, the governments that we've created, are all human constructs. They are not things that come from God. They are the the best that we can do as human beings with our frailty and our brokenness. And every time we try to choose a leader, we should try to think about who is the person that God would choose. And when we look at the people in the Bible who God chooses to lead, well, they're not people like Saul. There are people like Moses who could barely speak. There are people like Abraham who were nomads. There are people like the disciples who were plucked from obscurity. There are people like Jesus who we didn't really know about until His mother gave birth to Him. We need to think about who God would choose. And far too often we think about who we would choose, who would make us wealthy, who would make us powerful, rather than those people who point to God. And I would be remiss if I didn't say that it's not only who we would choose, but how we choose them. In our political nature right now, we spend so much time demonizing our enemy and lifting up or making our own candidates righteous. And what we need more than anything else is that air of humility to remember that we all make mistakes, we all do good things, and we all do bad things, and every last one of us live by the grace of God. And those people in the world that God would use are not those heroes like Saul, but those anti-heroes. Those people that we least expect. Maybe that's why I always get so fascinated by those anti-heroes in our world. People like Mother Teresa. People like maybe Rosa Parks. People like Fred Rogers. Because God somehow finds these people who are meek and peaceful and kind and somehow uses them to the glory of God. You might remember if you saw that documentary about Fred Rogers a couple of years ago, that great story of him going before Congress in 1968 to help get money for public broadcasting. At the time, there were people who were saying this was a waste of money. We need to to get rid of this and use this money for other things. And all throughout the day, a group of people who had came to speak on behalf of public broadcasting stood in front of this communications subcommittee, telling them in a very self-righteous way about how they were ruining the country by taking this money away. And then right at the end of the day, 143 pounds of nothing, a tall, pale man sat before the committee and rather than reading this long sheet of paper that he had written, he just looked at the man and said, let me just tell you about my television show. Every day, I try to teach children, you are, you are loved just the way you are. And it was those words of, of authenticity, those words of kindness, those words of humility that melted their heart. That melted the heart of Senator Pastore and the other members of the committee. And God used someone so meek and so lowly to change the world, to do something, to change the powers that be. When we think about who our leaders are, we need to think about the people that would be in the same way, authentic and kind and loving and generous, the people that God calls us to be. And maybe we need to treat our enemies the way God calls us to treat our enemies as well. But the true hope of this passage is not that we will one day choose the right leader. The true hope of this passage, the true hope of our faith, is that the right leader, a long time ago, chose us. That the right ruler, who loves us and promises never to forsake us, still has not forsaken us. That right leader who continued to work through the history of Israel in spite of the choices that they made. That right leader who is with them every single step of the way. That right ruler who has been our king and always will be our king. Jesus Christ our Lord, who loves us and is with us and hopes and prays that we will maybe someday choose the right leader. But until then, that leader, Jesus Christ our Lord, promises. To serve us, even when we don't serve Him. Promises to be faithful to us, even when we're not faithful. Promises to give His life to us, even when we choose to keep our lives for ourselves. Our hope with this monarchy, our hope with the history of Israel, our hope with the future of our world, is not that we will one day choose the right ruler. Our hope is that God has held on to us and promises always to do so. It's when that happens that we realize who our ruler is that the world may finally be changed. To the glory of God. Amen.